This is God's word from the book of John, chapter 10, verses 14 through 18. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have, I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Amen. Good morning, church family. How are we doing? Good? My name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. If we've not yet had a chance to meet, really glad that you are here. Thank you for uh, coming out on this beautiful, rainy Seattle Sunday morning. Uh, as Michael mentioned a minute ago, uh, we are in a sermon series called Gospel Justice in Suburbia. And for us, what we like to do as a church, the, the bread and butter of what we like to do as a church, is we like to go line by line, verse by verse, through books of the Bible. And we like to do that because uh, we believe that God's word is given to us to shape us, change us, challenge us in all sorts of ways uh, that we need. We believe that this is literally God's word, that he inspired these words to be written. And so we like to go through books of the Bible. However, as you probably know, we spent about a year going through the book of Hebrews together, and we thought, that was long. Uh, Let's do something a little shorter. And so we wanted to tackle a topical uh, subject series, a sermon series, and and really... um, the heart behind this is our culture, our country, we're having a lot of conversations right now as a nation about issues related to social justice, whether that be poverty and generosity and income inequality and caring for the needy and caring for the widow and caring for the orphan or when it comes to race and racism and race relations. Our whole country is having a conversation. Wouldn't you agree? But I'm going to ask you something. Don't you agree even more, people of God, that God has something to say in this conversation? And so we said, hey, why don't we open the scriptures, why don't we open the Bible, and let's see what God wants to say when it comes to poverty and caring for the poor and and talking about race. And so this is week four of our Gospel Justice in Suburbia series. And today we are tackling the subject of the gospel and race. And we kind of looked over the last few weeks at what has been coined the quartet of the vulnerable, the poor, the widow, the orphan, and the sojourner. But with the United States of America, our, our um, interaction with the sojourner, yes, it comes through the immigrant, yes, it comes through the refugee, but it also has a lot to do with just how we, as a, as a culture, it's really a melting pot, how we as people from all parts of the world have found ourselves here in the United States of America. How do we love one another? How do we interact with one another? And, and I think that you're going to be really challenged, and you're going to be really blessed uh, by what Javon has to say today. Uh, Javon and I have known each other for, I guess, almost five years now. Uh, I moved to Seattle, and one of the first people I met uh, back at the church that we were a part of together there five years ago, and we sat together, and we had a barbecue together in Ballard, and we talked, I remember that was a very good meal, uh, and I remember talking about your heart for pastoral ministry, your heart for church planting, and you were picking my brain, I was picking your brain, and we just had a really uh, good conversation together many years ago. Uh, Javon is from the Seattle area. He actually, uh, his formative years uh, were spent at uh, a church some of you are familiar with called Calvary Fellowship in Mount Lake Terrace. Yeah, we love Calvary. Uh, Wayne and I have talked about you. I'm sorry. I was, it was rude. I should have texted you. Um, but we, we've um, just a lot of kinship, a lot of fellowship, a lot of uh, uh, many mutual friends, mutual acquaintances. And so uh, Javon and I started talking clear back this summer, June, July, about 
what's happening here today, this, this sermon that's before you today. And so we started having this conversation many months ago about having him come and, and teach us on the subject of the gospel and race. For the last almost three years, Javon has been living in Memphis. He has done a pastoral residency there. He's now on staff with a church in the Memphis area as a church planting residence. He finished up a bachelor's degree in Bible, is working on a master's degree in theology now, and oh yeah, uh, has a seven-month-old uh, baby girl recently. So you can pray for him because he's traveling with an infant, and we all know how well that goes. So uh, I'm really uh, thankful to call Javon one of my friends. I'm really thankful that he was willing to come here and to teach us and to share with us from God's word on the subject of the gospel and race. And so if you would, Sound City, would you please give a big warm welcome to my friend Javon Washington. Thank you, Man, it is, it is very true. We did travel with a seven-month-old. Actually, when the time when we came, she was a six-month-old, and now she's seven months. Um, and so I just was like, man, we're going to be those people on an airplane with, like, a loud baby. And so I said, baby, I said, this baby is so cute. Just put a bow on her, and then if anybody looks crazy at her, they'll just see that bow and just melt like butter. <clears throat> Um, man, I'm, I'm thankful to be here today. Um, this is a good opportunity for us as a church, uh, as the people of God, to consider his word. <clears throat> How many of y'all know that God's word is always timely? There's a saying that they used to say that God is rarely early, but he's always on time. He's never late, but he's always on time. Church, is he not an on-time God? And also, I came from a loud church. So if you have the urge, you feel something going on, and you just don't know what to do with your hands, it's not a pop-locking thing that you want to raise it up and say amen, or you preaching, or woo. That's also acceptable. You can do all those things. The only thing you can't do is walk out of here. The, this particular topic is one of the topics that's kind of difficult to talk about. Sometimes people even want to fight after this. And so if you want to fight, I will not be in the parking lot. I will not be anywhere. I will not be there. This issue of race in the gospel is very important. As Pastor Aaron alluded to, that the world seeks to, is seeking right now to answer the question on civil rights and social justice and poverty and the poor. But the church is the means and the vehicle by which the world sees how the poor and how the one who is suffering from racial injustice um, is to learn from. It is our vocation, it is our role as the church, a kingdom of priests, a royal priesthood, a holy nation within a nation to love and serve and display the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as we consider God's word and we go here into these murky waters at some point, I want you to think about this. 
Our nation seems to be divided right now. It seems to be that there are races pitted against other races. There's political parties pitted against political parties. There's legislation against legislation. We're divided. But I have good news. How many of y'all know the gospel's good news? Is it not? The good news is, is that Jesus was torn apart so that we could be together, so that we could be united. There is good news and there is hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. One thing I will ask as we consider God's word is that you hear with your ears, but that you would listen with your heart. That you would hear with your ears and listen with your heart. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you've allowed us to be here today. We thank you that we are not those who have no hope. For deliverance never came through a president. Deliverance never came through a particular race. Uh, deliverance never comes through our socioeconomic status or how many degrees that we have. Deliverance comes from you alone. God, as we consider your word, I pray that my friends here and then my brothers and sisters here, as we hear your word, we would be cut to the core that the eyes of our hearts may be enlightened so that we may see you for who you are and in your unsearchable riches that are found in your son, Jesus. The only way that any of our hearts can change or will change or even desire to change is if you would change us. So God, I pray that you would go before us as we consider your word. We thank you for the name that is above all names, which is Jesus Christ. And the church would say, amen. As I was studying this uh, particular topic, I was talking with Pastor Aaron, and I was wondering, what passage should I teach from? Well, I had about three different passages that I studied for the past, since the summer, and I decided which passage maybe four days ago. And as I didn't know, but God did in, in his providence, that I would be coming before you the first Sunday after the election. Thank you. <laughs> I was expecting a phone call from Aaron being like, hey, man, uh, I'm going to need to take this, this Sunday to, uh, you know. But he didn't. Uh, <laughs> I'll thank you later. Uh, and God's word is always timely. And as we consider this, the text as I read it was just absolutely beautiful. I saw something I had never seen before. It's very easy sometimes to just glance over scripture, but not really under, 
partake of its beauty. And so if you'll go ahead and meet me in John chapter 10, we're going to be looking at verses 14 through 18. The title of this message, if you're a uh, chronic note taker and got to have everything outlined, the name of this sermon or this message will be called One Flock, One Shepherd. That's One Flock, One Shepherd. And if you're wondering, you're like, oh my gosh, Seahawks are playing today and it's going to take a long time. I have, I'll, give you a, I'll give you a road map. I have three points for you. We're going to be the, problem, or the uh, promise of the gospel, the power of the gospel, and then the problem of the gospel. Again, that's the promise of the gospel, the power of the gospel, and the problem of the gospel. Let us read John 10, 14 through 18. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep, and I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them in also, and they will listen to my voice so that there will be one flock. Let me hear you say one flock. Let me hear you say one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I laid down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down with my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge, this charge I have received from my father. A pastor by the name of Durham Gray wrote a book. It's called The High Definition Leader. It's a very amazing book. I'll also refer to it later on in the, in the sermon. But he says something that's very important that we need to start at this point. The issue of race in the gospel, we need to understand, is theologically driven and not sociologically driven. This is a theological issue, which makes it a gospel issue, which has sociological implications. We need a big picture view. Yes, we need to treat people with respect. Yes, we need to give people their right dignity, value, and worth. But we don't just do that because we might feel like it's the right thing. We actually need to look at the architect and the plan by which it was made. This is way bigger than sociology. This is a theological issue. Some of us have been told that this is not a theological issue. Some of us even say, well, let's just talk about Jesus. Well, guess what? When you talk about race in the gospel, we're going to talk a whole lot about Jesus. Because Jesus was the plan. He was the promise. And we're going to see this in this text. Galatians 3, 6 through 9 says this. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you 
shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who are of the are of the faith are um, blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith, so that in Christ, the blessing of Abraham might come through the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Who's talking about a sociological issue now? This is theologically driven. This is the bedrock of the gospel. That Abraham, justified by faith in Christ, that anyone as Abraham's descendants, who are those who have faith in Christ, are heirs and inheritors of the promise, which is Jesus. And he says that your descendants will be innumerable, that no one can count them. It says that in you, in Abraham, all of the nations shall be blessed. Now, this word nations here is the same word used in go and make disciples of all nations. It's actually even the same word used for Gentiles, even though it's translated differently. The word means ethnos, which is where we get the word ethnicity. Go out and make disciples of all ethnicities. You see, in America, in our culture, in Western Christianity, we unfortunately, when we read texts like this, or go out and make disciples of all nations, we think that Jesus was talking to us first, but he was actually talking to the Jews. And the people that he says make disciples of are actually us. So somehow we become in this weird way thinking that we are the center focal piece of the Christian faith. That we need to go overseas to help out those people. When you can't even go across the street to talk to these people. It's way easier to get a passport, talk to somebody, drop in, help them out and stuff like that. Feel great about yourself. Take a picture, post it to social media, fly back home than it is to actually get to know your neighbor, even know their name. If anything, we are part of that fulfillment of the Gentiles. We are the Gentiles. That is who we are. This promise of the gospel was to come through Abraham and be a blessing to all the nations, every ethnicity. By faith in Christ, we become heirs to the promise and inherit the promises in which Jesus. Now, which is Jesus. Now, why is this important? It's important because this is a biblical reality. This is of biblical importance. This was designed by the greatest architect, God, to build for himself a new humanity. One not made with hands, but one humanity bought by his blood to present his son a bride without blemish. You see, just like the character in the movie Taken, one Taken again, too. 
taken again third time, maybe another time, depending on how we do on record sales. We see this man who has a particular set of skills go after those who have taken his most prized possession, one who he loves, his daughter. He goes through everyone. He stops at nothing until he gets his daughter. Amen. The God of the Bible goes through every single obstacle, even sin and death, to get his bride. You see, to deny a universal multi-ethnic church is to wage war against a holy God. This is the God of all power, all creation, all wisdom. Who is man, a created and finite being, that he would deny Jesus his bride? Who is man, a finite and created being, that says that some ethnicities are less than or inferior to other ethnicities that were created in the image of God? You see, God is the uncaused creator, independent of dependence. God is the uncaused creator, independent of dependence. He needs no one. He does not need us. He needs no thing, for he exists outside of us. When people say, where did God come from? I say, I don't know, homie. He just is. <laughs> he just was. And you can even say, well, that's not proper English. Well, guess what? There's no English that can define who he is. When God relates to us, he uses pictures called anthropomorphic language, the arm of the Lord, the hand of the Lord, the eyes of the Lord search across the world to and fro looking upon those who would trust or believe in him. I remember one pastor messed me up when he said that God didn't have vocal cords. And my mind just blew. <laughs> but that yet he speaks very clearly and we hear him very clearly. Some of y'all know when you hear him, you just don't want to hear him. He speaks through his word. You see, God needs no one. He is the uncaused creator, independent of dependence. You see, Job has a little word to say about the wisdom and the power of God. In Job 12, verses 13 through 25, with God are wisdom and might. He has counsel and understanding. If he tears down, none can rebuild. If he shuts a man in, none can open. If he withholds the waters, they dry up. If he sends them out, they overwhelm the land. With him are strength and sound wisdom. The deceived and the deceiver are his. He leads counselors away, stripped and judges make, he makes fools. He loosens the bonds of kings and binds a waistcloth on their hips. 
He leads priests away stripped and overthrows the mighty. He deprives of speech those who are trusted and takes away the discernment of the elders. He pours contempt on princes and loosens the belt of the strong. He uncovers the deeps out of the darkness and brings deep darkness to light. He makes nations great and he destroys them. He enlarges nations and he leads them away. He takes away understanding from the chiefs and from the people of the earth and makes them wander in a trackless waste. They grope in the dark without light and he makes them stagger like a drunken man. What does this mean? Roughly translated, that God is dope. God is amazing. God is beautiful. God is majestic. He is all powerful. And he had a plan and he started this plan and he will not be stopped. No human hand, no institution, no law, no government, no president, no king will ever stop God from making his family his own. That is the truth of the gospel. His power and authority can't be matched. And if you're here and you don't call yourself a disciple of Jesus and you don't know God in a relationship with him, we're glad that you're here. And we got to be honest as the church because the church is not without fault. It has been a huge part of the problem when it comes to race in America. You see, his power and authority cannot be matched. Now, through times in history, there have been men and women, slave ships and chains, rapes and murders, lynchings and beatings, bombings and drownings, water hoses and attack dogs. There have been governments and laws, systems and institutions of so-called lovers of God that have sought to give God's people of other ethnicities who are created with intrinsic value given from God and, and attributed to them a value of inferiority that is less than human. Church, this has happened in the past, but it must not happen again. We must not let this happen. You see, church, the the multi-ethnic bride of Christ will be given to him, and there is a wedding that will take place. There will be no wedding crashers. There will be no speak now or forever hold your peace because the prince of of peace will rule and reign and he will dash nations and enemies into pieces with his rod in which he rules with, with all power and mighty. This is our God. This is a wedding that will happen. You see, whether or not Some people oppose God the Father from giving his multi-ethnic bride. They will lose. You will lose every time. You will lose. This wedding will happen. There will be a party of which 
you have never seen ever thrown. All those who are his sheep will heed his voice. They will heed the voice of the one shepherd who rules the one flock. John 10, 25 through 30 says this, I told you and you do not believe me. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. But you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father has given them to me and they and is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand for I and the father are one. You see this power of the gospel. This power of the gospel. The word that they use is uh, like power of the Holy Spirit they talk about is called dunamis. Like dynamite. This is the power of God. And the power of God, the gospel is the power of God for salvation for all who believe. You see, where the gospel of Jesus is preached, dead men rise never to die again. No death. You see, that is the power of the gospel. If you are in Christ, you are not a drowning person in need of help, and God threw you a preserver until you can hold on to. If you are in Christ, you were dead at the bottom of the ocean, bloated and decaying. But God, rich in mercy, great in love, chose to love you, chose to give you life. Because he is the good shepherd. He lays down his life for his sheep. And all of those who hear the voice of God, Jesus, the word incarnate in the flesh, respond to this gospel. For they know their shepherd. You see, Jesus, the one shepherd, dies for a mosaic of ethnicities. Jesus dies for the nations, the ethnos. If you're like me, when you read a book, you like to skip to the end. (laughs) Or if you're like me, who can't watch suspenseful movies because like the stress on me is too great, you fast forward through it, right? Like you don't even care what just happened. You're just like, I just can't take it. I don't want to even know what's going to happen. We are not as the church, those who are without hope. Because I got some good news. The end has already been written. Look with me in the book of Revelation, chapter 7, verses 9 through 10. This is the apostle John as he recounts the vision of the end result as Jesus being the one shepherd of the one flock. After this, I looked and behold, A great multitude that no one could number. From where, church? How many nations? Every nation. From all tribes and peoples and languages. 
standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. You see, in this scene, you won't get in trouble for taking a knee because both knees are gladly welcomed in the presence of God. Now, even though this picture is the end result, the sad reality and the present reality of the church today is that it looks nowhere near this. Now, I'm not saying that every church has to be multi-ethnic because it can't. If you're in an area that you just have all one race, genetically, you can't just get... It just don't happen like that. But the reality is, is that you can be. We should aim to be. But much of the shaping of church planting and evangelism in the past that's even been taught in some seminaries is what's called the homogeneous unit principle. I'll say it one time. The homogeneous unit principle. Also coined as birds of the same feather flock together. Or I want to reach these people. Or I want to reach that kind of person. Or yeah, those other ethnicities, I don't get it. Uh, Whoever's like them needs to preach the gospel to them. That is a lie. You see... This talk of a multi-ethnic church or racial reconciliation is not new. When the church first started, there was actually a meeting that happened when all of a sudden Gentiles, other ethnicities, were getting added into the kingdom. And the church was like, hey, uh, is this okay? Um, we need to have a meeting about people meeting Jesus. So they were like, hey, uh, who can we send? Hey, Barnabas. Uh, go down to that church, and this is happens in, in, the, in the book of Acts, and they say, hey, go down to that church, that Gentile church down in Antioch, and figure out if they preaching the true gospel. So Barnabas goes down there. He saw, he was like, man, those pastors and preachers, they was a beast with the, with the scriptures. <laughs> they was chopping up the word. They was getting it in. They was having fellowship. They were preaching. And so he went back to the church and said, hey, I'm not going to front. That means I'm not going to lie or withhold truth that (laughs) this is, uh, that that, that God is doing something here. And so they're like, really? They're like, yo, well, take that young cat, that means that young guy who you are, uh, not actual cat, but that young guy that you're discipling, His name is Paul. I want y'all to go down there, and I want y'all to encourage them. So in Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, Paul and Barnabas show up to this church at Antioch. A really interesting thing about this, in which we kind of sometimes skip over Scripture in Acts 13, verses 1 through 3, it says this. Now there were in a church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called the Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Menean, a lifelong friend, and Herod the Tetrarch. While they were worshiping, 
and the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for Barnabas and Saul for the work of which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, laid their hands on them and sent them off. Because uh, there's a feature, you know, sometimes this uh, company releases all these different features sometimes of new uh, operating system things to get you to, you know, upgrade your phone over and over perpetually when they have the real technology. They're just not giving it to you because they want to make a quick buck. Anyway, one of those features was like a grayscale feature where you could actually look at your phone in black and white so it wasn't so harsh on your eyes. Unfortunately, I think that's the symptom of in, in the prognosis of the church and culture today. We like to look at the issue of race and the gospel in the, in the lens of grayscale. We don't want to see it in color. I had a hard time when I moved to Memphis and then I was just learning more about the Bible. Because one of the things growing up, which is kind of a sad reality, is that um, we as humans seek to conform God into our image instead of be conformed into the image of God. There's a book called The Color of Christ in the Saga of Race in America. Well, basically, it talks about how every different ethnicity or every different type of culture seeks to make Christ their culture. So that's where you get, like, black Jesus or blue-eyed, white-haired Jesus or Filipino Jesus or... In the words of Ricky Bobby, baby Jesus. <laughs> you get all kinds of Jesuses. Everyone gets to make the Jesus fit their, their context. You see, there is only one shepherd of one. Amen. And in this text, there's something that we don't see. We see Simeon, who was called the Niger, and Lucius of Cyrene. When you go and actually study their names, I think Luke is doing something very intentional as he is the author of the book of Acts. He is saying, hey, as these Gentiles are being added into the kingdom and they're being saved, here's what's going on. We have these African men. This guy, uh, Simeon, the one who was called the Niger, his name literally means dark. He is dark. But we see that this church, it says that they were prophets and teachers. This multi-ethnic church is biblical. This, this multi-ethnic church has already existed. This multi-ethnic church has already began, and God started it, and he will finish it. You see, but even though this is the truth, something happened in America. You see, this is from the book, HD leader by pastor and author Derwin Gray. He gives some stats from a from this research, and it says only 13.7 of American churches are multi-ethnic. 13.7. And then he says 86.3% of churches are homogeneous. That means one color. 83%. Well, it gets worse. It says that churches are 10 times more segregated in the neighborhoods that they actually are in. And then they are 20 times more segregated than nearby schools in the neighborhoods in which they are in. Martin Luther King, who speaks today still through his words, that 11 o'clock is the most segregated hour in America. It is really sad that 
at a certain time today, as we're segregated, worshiping Jesus, that there will be another church at another time worshiping around a pigskin with multi-ethnic people cheering for who can actually make a field goal. How is it that football is uniting people of all nations and ethnicities more than the gospel of Jesus Christ? Might I submit to you, it's not because God has failed, because we saw the end result. I think one of the issues is, is a disconnect with the church of not just doing word, proclamation, but also doing deed and demonstration. Gospel proclamation cannot be disconnected from gospel demonstration. Now, part of the reason, as I said, we're going to be honest about this. And part of the reason why I think many think that this has had a huge role today on the state of the church is, is that the church back in history had actively been involved in the buying and the selling of slaves. This is true. This is reality. This is factual. This is not the chocolate guy preaching about race and telling you stuff that's not true. This is legitimately, this is history. These are facts that have happened. Some of the Puritans who we read and quote in our sermons even owned black slaves. Many churches preach and Bible publishers held to a doctrine that all blacks were ordained by God to be slaves. And this comes from, I was even taught this as a young kid, which was crazy because I didn't really know that that meant I was cursed. Um, that's why you should read your Bible, you know, that's, go figure. And it was because, you know, in the curse of, you know, where uh, the flood happened and Ham was laughing at his dad and, you know, Noah cursed him. And then all of a sudden he was the descendant of where a lot of the darker skinned people came from. So therefore, all the nations were, all of those of dark descent were cursed because of the curse of Ham. That was taught in churches. That was taught in seminaries. That was put in Bibles, study Bibles that you trust. And you're like, oh, I'm going to figure this out and learn about Jesus. And then you're seeing dark skinned people are supposed to be enslaved because of the color of their skin. They used, they tried to use the Bible and they contorted scripture to fit that. Many pastors and churches distorted the Bible and preached in favor of segregation and against inter interracial marriage. Many evangelical leaders today in churches are, again, guilty of what was happening to Christians during slavery and the civil rights movement. You see, the church, we're really good at a lot of things. Here's one thing in particular that, we, that we're really good at. We're really good at protesting we're really good at criticizing protest for equality and racial injustice. But we were never really good and we're not good at protecting those who are victims of racial injustice. You see, today we criticize the Black Lives Matter movement, not realizing that if the church movement was actually walking in true gospel Humility and identity in word and in deed, we wouldn't need the Black Lives Matter movement. 
What if the Black Lives Matter actually protested the church for their hypocrisy for not caring about lives that are outside the womb, but primarily lives that are inside the womb? What if people protested the church for hypocrisy who said, God loves all ethnos, all nations, and yet we remain silent? We, like the parable of the Good Samaritan, the man beating, been beat on the road, bleeding, and his voice, I mean his blood, cries out for help, and we walk by. We acknowledge that you're bleeding, that you're hurting, that you are a victim of injustice, but we're not going to do anything about it. They explain away that the, that the race conversation about the gospel is a social issue and not a gospel issue. I would love to say that this is not the case anymore, but friends, as I told you before, race is not the gospel. But it is a gospel issue with real sociological implications. That's why Paul was writing letters to the Corinthian church like, yo, why are y'all tripping? Y'all, all of a sudden, cultures got together and you think that everybody was just going to get along and eat the same type of food. One guy's like, yo, they're eating collard greens and ham hocks. Can I get an amen? <laughs> and the other, other people over here are eating quinoa and, uh, is that how you say it? Oh, quinoa. They're eating quinoa and gluten-free, and they're like, yo, we don't do that, bro. We're like, well, we like our chicken baked. We're like, well, we like our chicken fried. And they're like, well, I like bacon. We're like, well, we can't have bacon. So now there's some issues, and Paul's writing to them, addressing them with the gospel applied to that context. That was a real sociological issue and implication that the gospel had when it came to bear on the lives and the culture of the people. So we too in America have a narrative of slavery and of oppression of other ethnicities, of Asians, of natives of this land, and then also of Africans. We've got to stop acting like this didn't happen. I know some of your kids in their history books say it didn't happen or don't talk about it. But the truth is it did happen. And we have to acknowledge that before we have to acknowledge injustice before we can seek justice. So we don't need to be shamed. So if you're here today and you're like, man, I feel guilty. Don't feel guilty because guilt is not enough. Guilt is a portable battery charger that is gone after one charge. We need something heavier. We need something deeper. We need something more robust. We need the gospel to empower us. You see, if you've struggled with racism, if you are struggling with it, and you know you got some issues, or you're just like, I don't want to change, guess what? The gospel can change you. The gospel has changed me. There's no condemnation for you. For those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, and if this is one of the issues that you struggle with, there's grace for you. Repentance is not a punishment. Repentance is a gift. It's a gift because as we were alienated from God, set apart, broken apart, torn, divided. In Jesus' flesh, he reconciled all things, tearing down the dividing wall of hostility 
that was between other ethnicities. So don't, don't feel like there's no hope. There's hope in the gospel. I'm not here to guilt you. I'm here to tell you that we have work to do as the church. I know that the world looks at us and asks for an example, but right now they're kind of seeing us as Christians unfriending other Christians because of who they voted for. Friends, the gospel goes way deeper than your political position. That is a man-made institution which will die. You see, what's happened is, is that some people and some Christians have sought to find their identity as a donkey and as an elephant and not as a sheep. You see, the truth is, is that Jesus only died for one animal. You must be a sheep first, then be a donkey, then be an elephant. We must have the grid of the gospel and let that influence how we vote and how we love people across the lines and who we disagree with. Some of you guys have crazy family members, and if you're laughing, you're probably the crazy one, and you know you're driving everybody else crazy. Stop it. Church, the scripture says that the world will know him by our love for one another. You know, unfriending fake friends on Facebook. Or you don't want to do it all the way so you put, don't hide, you hide posts so you feel better because of someone's political position. Imagine if Jesus rejected us because of our positions. Last time I checked, they're not perfect. You see, I'm not here to tell you on how to become a sociologist. I'm not a sociologist. My hope and aim is that sanctification is for us as Christians, that we live a lives that are not hypocritical. We don't live a safe life but we live a life of demonstration and proclamation in word and deed, in loving God and loving our neighbor. We see here in the problem of the gospel, in Galatians chapter 2, verses 11 through 14, let us read. But when Cephas, who is Cephas, came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, he was eating with the Gentiles. But when they came, he drew back from them and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even Barnabas, the same Barnabas that we just talked about, was like, yo, all these other people of other ethnicities are down with us with the gospel. Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. And Paul says, but when I saw their conduct was not in step with the gospel, I said to Cephas before them all, in front of everybody, if you, a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew, how can you force Gentiles to believe like Jews? There were people saying that you need Jesus plus something else. Some churches will tell you that you need Jesus. Actually, they won't even tell you that you need Jesus first. They'll tell you that you need 
Democrat or Republican first, then you need Jesus. Some people will tell you, you need money first, and then you need Jesus. Some people tell you, you need to be sinless, and then you can have Jesus. No, 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 no. You need Jesus first and foremost, and everything else flows after that. It flows from that. You see, but many of us have those circumcision parties in the sense that we're afraid of having fellowship or saying things about race or the gospel because we're afraid of what people may say or how we'll look. So we withdraw from the table. That's been, I think, a mode of the church from our history in America so far. We've drawn back from the table. But what we need is, like Paul, somebody to step right into our face and say, hey, Peter or church, you see that line, that sobriety line of the gospel? You're you're drunk. You're offline. You're not in step with the gospel. We don't break fellowship. We don't add to the gospel. You see, the gospel brings all types of people together from different cultures so that they can learn to be different colored sheep from different planes, different locations, yet in unity and obedience to him as one flock under one shepherd. You see, there are some obstacles to authentic living as a one flock with the one shepherd. Because of our sinful flesh, we like to make created things God things. We make our race. If we feel like our race is maybe even being attacked or we're made being felt guilty or, we, we'll, or we're, we're feeling like we're inferior, then we've got to swing to the other side and say, no, my race is awesome. You know, Don't talk about my race like that. Do you know who I am? We take pride too much in those things. Like I said before, we take too much in political parties. And then we, we take so much pride in them that we, look, you can have that. That's fine. But we cannot break fellowship as disciples of Jesus Christ over those things. The blood of Jesus united us. There's nothing that can separate us from that. It could be our flag or our gender or our socioeconomic status. We can make that our identity, as, or rather, we can make that our flock. That's my flock, which I'm defined by. I'm not part of that one. I'm part of this one. Galatians 3, 26 through 29 says, For Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized, you have put on Christ. And there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, nor male or female. For you are all one in Christ. And if you are in Christ, you are Abraham's offspring according to the promise. You see, in God's flock, there's no hierarchy of race, rank, and sex or gender. There's no hierarchy if you're in Christ. You see, but outside of Christ, the world and the culture has a hierarchy. Had it been 50, 60 years ago, my hierarchy, I couldn't have lunch with some of you guys. I couldn't actually sit in this church. Did you know, actually know that the African-American Episcopal uh, Methodist Church was started because these two gentlemen, Richard Allen and Absalom Jones, were on their knees praying, and people of the church said, you can't pray here. Your section is up there. So they decided to start their own church. That's how even some denominations were started, because they weren't allowed to fellowship. You see, because outside of Christ... There is a hierarchy of race, rank, and sex. But it should not be so with us, church. Amen? So 
what do we do? So what do I do? We're always looking for stuff to do. Don't worry, this will not be eight steps to have black friends or to, you know, eight steps to have, you know, you know, Asian friends or white friends or whatever. This is, you know, this is not that. There's no action steps that's going to just fix all things and you're be like, oh, just give it to me, bro. Like, let me have it. It's not going to happen. Well, I will tell you is that uh, proximity breeds empathy. The closer you are with someone, the more empathetic that you will be. So again, if you see someone who has been a victim of injustice, you won't just say, hmm, are you playing the race card? Or will you say, that's my brother in Christ, and he's hurting. I need to help him. So first thing I want you to do is realize that you cannot do this on your own. You need God to work in you and through you. I need God to work in me and through me. We cannot just put away all our baggage by ourselves and pick ourselves up um, and just do what we can um, and just figure it out and just be awesome. We can't do that. We need God. We need the Holy Spirit. But here are some practical action steps, not from uh, an African-American dude who's sitting up here talking to you about the Bible and and, and race today, okay? This is coming from the Scripture, okay? I'm going to give you just one passage, Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. This is called the kenosis passage or the incarnation passage. He says this, so there, so if there is any encouragement in Christ and therefore any comfort from love, participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having of the same love, being of full, being in full accord of and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only for his own interest, but also for the interests of others. Have this mind, church. Have this mind. Have this attitude. Like Scarecrow from The Wizard of Oz. If only I had a brain. If he only had a mind. If only we, the church, had the mind of Christ. So let this attitude, let this mind be in you. Do not look out for the interest of only others. I mean, of for yourself, but also of others. In verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, being in the likeness of of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross. First action step for you to do. Verse three, prefer others. Prefer others. It's not a, our lives don't exist for us. They exist for others. A priest is a person who's a mediator. They are a healer. They tend to. So as we are a holy nation, a royal priesthood, a kingdom of priests, let us prefer others. Two, seek the flourishing of others across ethnic lines. You see, Jesus here in verse 4, he looked out for the interests of others, and so he became a man and stepped to eter- into, eterni- into uh, this realm of non-eternity. Also, three, give up power and position. Give up your power and position to help those who are in the margins, who are the lost, the last, and the least of these. Give up of your power and your position. Because remember, as I said, in Christ we don't have a hierarchy, but in the world there is a hierarchy. So what a beautiful gift that all of us, in one way or the other, have been given a a measure of grace that we have power and we have position, that we are to give it away 
so that others may be blessed. Number four, enter into someone else's world or pain. You see, in verse six through seven, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. We need more servants in this issue. We got a lot of experts. Facebook is very clear of that. I say that as an expert, of course, who posts on social media. Enter into someone's world in pain. You see, because Jesus, because he incarnated himself into human flesh, he said that he is our great high priest, that he is able to sympathize with us. For some of us, we're like, oh, we don't get it. I don't understand what the problem is. It's because you haven't became flesh yet. You're still, proclam- you're still proclamation word, but you haven't incarnated yourself in presence. Incarnate yourself in presence. Enter into someone else's world in pain. Five, listen in humility without your own opinion. Now, this is going to be hard because everyone's got one and it stinks. Verse eight, and being found in the human form, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. Listen in humility without your own opinion. Honestly, sometimes a lot, I know, especially too for African-Americans, just us in particular. And I obviously I can't speak for every African-American, though some people think I can. Um, I cannot. Um, sometimes we just want people to listen to agree that we're being hurt or agree that things are hard or agree that certain things have happened to us. We only want agreement sometimes. So sometimes people aren't even like saying, fix this. They're saying, cry with me. I think one pastor, Doug Logan, he said, sometimes people don't need a quote from John Calvin. Sometimes they just need a hug. (laughs) What would that look like to be present? And number six, Make racial injustices your problem. Make racial injustices your problem. You see, for all Christians, the right to remain silent in the face of injustice was revoked the day the Holy Spirit arrested your heart. Your rights as a Christian to remain silent in the face of injustice were revoked when the Holy Spirit arrested your heart. Well, why? Because Jesus made our problem his problem. You see, there were a group of Christians who were marching with Martin Luther King in the Civil Rights Movement. They went to jail with Martin Luther King. They got beat with Martin Luther King. Though they were white, they still were beat black and blue. They shared in that sufferings. Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens. What would it look like for us to make the, make the problem of injustice our problem? You see, because we're here because the church has been silent for way too long. It's time that we speak up. And I think the most crucial point, number seven, which is the last, is we and you, you and I, need to see yourself as a victim of systemic oppression called sin. And you were in need with someone with power, position, and resources to love And to set you free. Now, if this is true, if you needed God, an outside force, to help you where you are powerless, then how much more do our brothers and sisters who don't have the strength need us to step into the margins for them? It's not a disconnect from the gospel. This is the gospel. Proclamation, demonstration. And last point, allow God to work through you 
and give you a voice so that the people can hear the voice of the good shepherd in the noisy world. Let's pray. Gracious God, our sins are too heavy to carry, too real to hide, and too deep to undo. Forgive what our lips tremble to name, what our hearts can no longer bear. And what has come of an unconsuming fire of judgment. Set us free from a past that we cannot change. Open us to a future in which we can be changed. And grant us to grow more and more in your likeness and image. Through Jesus Christ, the light of the world. For the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Amen. Friends, can we say thank you to Javon for teaching us today? Appreciate you, brother. Yeah, two things that are going to stick with me. first one is, I'm so thankful that Jesus made my sin problem his problem. That is so deeply impacting. And the second one is, Jesus didn't die for donkeys or elephants, but for sheep. I'm going to steal that. I don't know if where you got that, but I'm stealing that. So, Church, let's respond to Jesus now. We're going to collect an offering. We're going to do so as an act of worship. And as the financial stewards are collecting the offering, and then in a moment they'll be passing out the elements for communion, uh, just encourage you to hold on those, uh, to those. We'll take that all together. We're also going to welcome our younger students class to come in and, and this time of response and this time of singing. I just want to remind you, as you're giving, let's give because God has given us his very best. He gave his only son. He gave, uh, Jesus gave his blood that we might be redeemed and brought into the sheepfold. I'm going to read a few discussion questions and things to help us talk this week in our community groups and our homes. Um, first one is this, what obstacles may lead you unintentionally or intentionally to live a, a segregated life from people of other ethnicities? I, I think probably for many of us in the Pacific Northwest, it's not just outright overt racism, but I think there's a lot of passive patterns that we kind of settle into where, we're, where it's uncomfortable to go into those spaces and those conversations. And so talk about that. Why can it be so difficult to acknowledge that our country and even our churches have a problem when it comes to the issue of race? And some reasons, maybe, you know, but the ones listed or maybe some other ones. Um, next slide, please. If a Christian brother or sister is a victim of racial injustice, um, do you see their problem as your problem? Do we own that together? And where might you uh, be tempted to either avoid or maybe make justifications? Number four, in, in Galatians, uh, Paul confronted Peter because of his uh, not acting in line with the gospel. And where do you need to see race as a gospel issue, not just a social or sociological issue? And then number five, uh, how can we grow in lovingly confronting one another when we do see uh, racial prejudice? I, I love what you said, brother. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If we're in Christ, we're already one. We're already unified. And so I just encourage us to, to be able to live that out and walk in step with the gospel. A couple things to pray about. <clears throat> Number one, pray that God would help Sound City to be the type of church that is welcoming, friendly, uh, compassionate to people of all uh, ethnicities, all backgrounds, that we would, we would really be that type of a church. And then number two, um, pray that God would bring healing to our nation and to our culture.
Um, I don't know if you know this, it seems a little divided this week for some reason. I haven't been able to put my finger on it yet. But here's the deal, and I've said this before, and I'm, I'm kind of joking, but I'm actually kind of not. Um, for every blog post that you're tempted to share on social media, would you just hit your knees and pray? The Bible does not say that the social media posts of a, of a righteous man are powerful and effective. It says that the prayers of a righteous man are powerful and effective. And so I just want to encourage you, your prayer is actually going to be more effective. It's actually going to do more good than all of the blog posts in the world. So I say that sort of joking, but really actually kind of not. Lastly, a couple of action steps. Number one, we are going to have a, a conversation tomorrow night. We've talked about this. We're going to do it live at our offices. The, the intent and the heart behind this is just to model what it looks like for Christian brothers and sisters to come together and just talk about the intersection of race and the gospel. This was a lot of theology today. We're going to get a little even more practical. That's happening tomorrow night. Myself and Javon kind of moderating. We've got a panel of others. We, we got together last week and uh, had a conversation. It was just beautiful. I was already encouraged. I can't wait to share it with you. Um, the space is limited, so if you want to go live, you got to go register a spot. It's on our website. Or probably the easiest option is to just uh, follow along on Facebook, on our Sound City Bible Church Facebook page. Give you an action step. Go f- seek somebody out and go have a conversation to listen and practice what uh, Javon was encouraging us toward. And then number three, we've been encouraging all of our community groups. If there's areas of local ministry, local mission that you want to engage in, Uh, to uh, talk with your group about ways that you can do that. We're going to celebrate the Lord's table, and I'm not going to take the time. We're running a little bit late here. I'm not going to take the time to read the whole passage. Let me just say this to you. In a moment, after I pray and we begin our time of singing, I want you to remember that we're now gathering around a table with people, brothers and sisters from every nation, tribe, and language. We're gathering around the table, and there's one father seated at the head of the table. He's our God. And as we come, we're the recipients of that grace. We're the ethnos. We're the nations that that Jesus was determined to gather in. And so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to begin our time of singing in response with a prayer, asking God to rise up on behalf of those who have been broken and who have been oppressed. And so pray with me if you would. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the ways in which it challenges us. We thank you, God, even sometimes where um, we're scared to go. God, we We hide ourselves in the cleft of the rock, the rock whose name is Jesus. And Jesus, you're the one that uh, goes into the the storm. You're the one that goes into the wind and the waves. And we have nothing to fear because you are our refuge. I pray now for our time of singing and response. May we have hearts that overflow in gratitude and in worship to you. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. Amen.